Hello, welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast about movies that we haven't seen yet. I'm your host today, I am Betsy, and with me, as always, is Trent. Hey, hey. Today, we are going away from the R-rated classics, the R-rated sequels where we have been living, and making a very dramatic shift in the other direction. Very. We are watching... What is arguably one of the greatest movies of all time. I've heard this. Uh, We have heard this from many sources. It is an all-time classic celebrating its 80th, 8-0 anniversary. We are watching Casablanca. Betsy, I've never seen this movie. Trent, I am not surprised, and yet I am also horrified. (laughs) Why Uh is it that you have never seen Casablanca? It seems to me like this movie should have been one of those movies that they show you in school, if for nothing else in history class, and not necessarily for any other kind of like elective class, but this movie was released and is taking place during World War II. Yeah, is it not? The war was happening. Yeah. It was not over yet. And yeah. they made this movie that, as you are aware, is about and related to World War II. Right. And that is unheard of. It doesn't even happen now. You usually have to have a little bit of a, a gap. Distance. Like, even like the Iraq War movies that have come out, have come out well after the conflict is basically over. Well, mostly because all the stories that come out from that, we don't hear about until later. Right. Whereas this one, it is taking place during World War II, but it is a piece of fiction. So this is not actually something that happened to a real living human, or if it is, I didn't know that. I doubt it very much, though. (laughs) Okay. Um, So as far as like... And I'm learning things as you're talking here. So I I don't really know anything about what this story is about. I know it takes place in Casablanca, Morocco. And it's, uh, what is it? Ingrid Bergman and um, Humphrey Bogart. Yes. So those are the two leads. And I guarantee you there are scenes from this movie you have seen recreated. Jokes that are from this movie that have been in other things. Because this is just (laughs) one of those movies that has been around for so long that it permeates culture. Yeah, and I know about one joke. <laughs> it's the, I am shocked, shocked to find out that there is gambling happening here. Your winnings, sir. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a great joke even now, 80 years hence. So I'm sure there's plenty more that has been like referenced in other media that I've seen, but I can't think of any off the top of my head other than that one. So are you familiar at all with the story or are you pretty bl- going in pretty blind to this? I know there are Nazis and that's about it. <laughs> there are Nazis and it's in Casablanca. There, we tied it yeah. into the previous movie. And of course, I, John Wick went to that's Casablanca. Right, that's right. We're going back to Casablanca. <laughs> we take our inspiration from a lot of different places. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I really don't know anything else here. I know the ending because it's the famous line, uh, Mr. X, uh, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship or something like that. <laughs> I don't know who the guy's name is or anything like that. But yeah, that's the extent of my knowledge. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, is you just have a very big blind spot mm-hmm. for anything kind of pre a certain year, just because yeah. you haven't really explored yeah. the classic Hollywood, the golden age mm-hmm. of Hollywood. And this is one of the these reasons, kinds of movies. it's one of the reasons why we are doing this podcast in the first place is because I do have a blind spot when it comes to a lot of classical uh, film. And it's because I just never had the curiosity to go back and look because I've never really had the itch to like make movies or learn about how filmmaking has evolved over, over time. And 
to my knowledge, this movie was very inspirational to a lot of other filmmakers on how to film a movie. It's like all- there are a lot of like modern filmmaking tropes in this movie that were never done up until this point. Yeah, this is an example of appreciation and inspiration that has lived on for this long. The yeah. fact that 80 years later, we're still talking about this movie, yeah. I think it speaks a lot to the legs it's got to stand on. So let's go do it. We're going to go find out how Trent feels about Casablanca. We're going to go watch it, and we will be right back. Trent, that was Casablanca. Where do you rank it as far as its present standing as one of the greatest of all time? I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I'm not saying it's but No, I, I like this one. It was very complex. I wasn't expecting, like, it's not really a caper. It's just, it's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot going on, but it's pretty clear. And it's just interesting. Yeah. For the, the time and the place that it is set for the time that the movie was made, because it was made a little further into the future than the events of the movie, and just contextually in history, it's a really cool concept. It's like a snapshot in history in that these are things that are happening in real time, but not this entire story. Like, this story is plausible. It is 100% plausible. It's believable. Yeah. And was actually, I'm sure, happening. Yeah. So I'm sure this was at least inspired by true events and true people, but you're right. It is intriguing. It is interesting. It is, it, it, you want to know what's going to happen, even though at the very end, it's maybe not what you think is going to happen. It's not the cliche of a, let's just say a romantic comedy. A runaway romance, if you will. Sure. Like you think that Rick is going to run away because he has these papers and this woman is throwing herself at him and he's just kind of a, he's not a scumbag, but he's a little skeezy. He's a complex man. Yeah. And we don't actually have that much information about who he was and why he is where he is. They give you Mm -hmm. enough to know that he was kind of a bad person, a bad guy. And they kind of keep mentioning it throughout the movie where he roots for the underdog, but he always seems to fight for the side of good, even though he has this bad history, Mm -hmm. which we, again, don't know what he did. Right. But then by the end, he has this option to be truly selfish or be truly Mm -hmm. selfless. And he chooses, once again, the underdog. Well, at the same time, he knows that if he goes back to the U.S., that there's going to be problems. Yeah, he knows he can't go back to the U.S. Right. And he knows what'll happen if she stays. He knows what happens if Laza will stay. Yeah, like think about all of the different scenarios here. If Rick and Ilsa left together to go to the U.S., she would be left by herself because he would be arrested. Most likely. And her husband would be left and Mm -hmm. who knows what would happen. But He would go back to the concentration camp. Potentially. Most likely. If he gets arrested. Yeah. Or his fight is never quite the same because Mm -hmm. she is such an integral part of his life and what he has to fight for. Exactly. So at the end of the movie, it is status quo. 
the the heroes get to be where they where they need to be and Rick is where he was and all he's doing here is improving his current lot in life in that he has deepened his relationship with the chief of police who is corrupt as hell but then again everybody's corrupt as hell in this part of the world <laughs> well and that's just why it's such an interesting setting because you don't think about these places where everybody was flooding out of Europe and yeah. where they were kind of the halfway point. Where yeah, and and like this place is like neutral ground, yes, so to speak. It is a country that is ruled over by France. It's yeah. French-occupied. It is French Morocco. There is also a Spanish Morocco and a regular Morocco. So yeah, if you this, looked at the map, this that's is, what it was depicted as. Yeah, this is French Morocco. So the French are still in charge, yeah. but the Germans have occupied France, but they right. have not occupied Morocco. But you've got just a flood of people from Bulgaria and Germany yeah. and they talked about it at Norway. the very beginning, where there is a flood of people, refugees coming from Paris, from France, and other parts of Europe, and other parts of Europe who are flooding into Morocco because there is an airport there. Uh, in Casablanca in particular, where people can get papers and it's kind of a corrupt place. So if you know how to grease the wheels, if you have the right amount and of money. And you have money, the right money. And right. You can get to where you need to be in order to get to America, which at, the, at this point is about the only place that's safe. Yeah, and it, it the planes the are just a little puddle jumper to get you to Lisbon because yeah. Lisbon is the port city where all the boats go. Yeah. But yeah, it's just all these people from all over. You've got the guy behind the bar who's from Russia. You've got right. Americans. You've got Paris, There's p- French all people. all sorts of different characters and just this menagerie of people in, like that hang out at Rick's bar. Who nobody wants to be in Morocco, but yeah. they're all there. Nobody wants to be in Rick's bar, but mm-hmm. they're all there and they're just waiting. I love the, the narrator at the beginning who's just giving you enough information mm-hmm. to know who mm-hmm. these people are and why they're here. And he ends with... And they wait mm-hmm. and wait and wait. That's just a great setup for this yeah. movie. And somebody even said there are some people here who have been waiting for years mm-hmm. because of whatever circumstance. Like they, maybe they spent their entire life savings to get to Morocco and then that's it. And they don't have any more money. They don't have any more money. And, and there's a lot of that. Everybody's yeah. selling their jewels and they're gambling trying to get more money. Yeah. And it's all they can do. And, like, there's this economy in Casablanca to support this thing. All of the local officials are getting in on it. They take a cut. Yeah. The guy, Louis, the police chief or whatever he is, he is a terrible corrupt person who takes advantage of the situation. But everybody has to have his signature to get out. And Mm -hmm. he takes advantage. When he goes to Rick's, they let him win at roulette because... Mm -hmm. It is to everybody's benefit to just kind of glad hand each other Mm -hmm. and leave things under the table. And people all go to Rick's like they say, oh, well, he'll be at Rick's tonight. Everybody goes to Rick's because it's where people are buying. It's where people are selling. Mm -hmm. All the deals are being made. The underground people are like having hush hush conversations. Everybody knows it's all out in the open. Yeah. But it's just the balance of peace where we know exactly who you are and what you're doing. And maybe we'll let you get away with it, or maybe we won't. It just depends on the day. Yeah. And if you wrong the wrong person, it's your ass. Like, you are off of whatever easy street that you're on. If Rick runs afoul of the wrong people, his bar is completely closed and he's just on, on the street. Right. And, of course, this is unoccupied Morocco in that the Germans have no say here. 
but there are Germans there. It's just this great environment of kind of fuck you Germany because all of the French people there know that they can't actually do anything. They don't have any authority. So Rick is very abrupt with the Germans who come into his bar. He's like, your money's no good here. He will not take a cent from them Mm -hmm. if it's German currency. He's like, your cash is good at the bar. Like, you can go buy drinks with the cash that is good in this country. Right. I'm not taking your German money. You cannot come and gamble. Fuck you. Get out of my bar. Yeah. And when they show up in the bar as a group and they start singing loudly in German, everyone else, the French people just sing louder in French. Yeah, the victor comes up and starts instructing the band who is there, hey, you know, uh, uh, play the uh, the French national anthem. Yep. And then everybody gets in on it and drown out the, the Germans who are singing whatever they're singing. It's this great, like, moving scene. And again, when you think about it now... This was in the midst of World War II that this movie got made. So if this movie played in Europe, they are watching these people rising up against the Germans. It's a giant fuck you to the Nazis. Yeah. And that's just great. It's so cool to think about in the context. Like you just watch it passively. It's a it's a cool scene. But when you really place it into the historical context, Mm It's a huge fuck you. This is America and Americans saying, this is what we think about this situation. You haven't conquered us yet, you motherfuckers. We can do what we want here. And you're lucky that we're not going to run your ass out on a rail. Yep. There's a lot of themes of underdogs and the overall message of the movie to other parts of the world is... We might be the underdog, but mm. we're scrappy we're little still, bastards. We're still going to kick your fucking ass. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's just a lot going on and a lot to unpack. And then you've got this complex relationship of these two people who loved each other before the war. Yeah. And they were there on the day. And then they just parted ways and don't know why. Or Rick doesn't know why. Sure. And there's there's all of this anger and hostility that he carries and he is who for good reason he is who he is today because he got jilted yeah and like he there's the line what is your nationality i'm a drunkard (laughs) (laughs) and that's how he feels he is a a neutral party he doesn't get involved he's not interested in the politics Mm -hmm. and he's also not really interested in making friends Mm -hmm. because he never sits down that they they call attention to it a few times he never sits down with patrons to have a drink with them to make to make friends to make conversation he is there to make money he is there for himself yeah he sits at a table playing chess by himself drinking yeah that's who this guy and is. Sam. Sam is also there. Yeah, Sam is the only friend he has, yeah. but only because he needs to have somebody talk some sense into him once in a while. <laughs> right. But he doesn't even really listen to him. He's his own man and he is going to sit there and drink and be upset and not move on with his life. And it's not until Ilsa comes back that it gives him the kick in the pants to actually change and be that person again. Yeah, and he clearly has a point of view and he doesn't really let it out until he needs to because fucking at the end of the movie, he shoots the Nazi officer and everybody else in just front ca- of, in front of the French in guy, front of the chief of police. <laughs> and he just lets him get away with it because number one, he deserves it. And number two, you know, we can see a way out of this. We can get Rick to a safe place if need be. 
But in the end, we believe that everything is going to work out because we say it does. Well, we still control this whole thing. Through the whole movie, Louis is constantly saying that, you know, I'll, I'll play nice with the Germans, but they're not in charge yet. Yeah. So he keeps saying, well, that'll be good for Germany. Well, it'll be better for France, basically. But he's mostly just out for himself. So his whole relationship with Rick is they're both two guys kind of out for themselves. They don't really have a dog in this fight. Mm -hmm. So at the end, he's like, mm, I didn't really like that guy anyway. Round up the usual suspects. He could take Rick down, but he feels sure. like, no, you know what? I think uh, today, I'd rather. Today we're still friends. Today I feel like I'm going to help you. And it's just, it's just great. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of actors in this movie that you've never seen a movie before so uh you've never seen a humphrey bogart movie this is nope. your first one no nope. angered bergman no nope. uh do you recognize peter laurie at no. all no do you know that name yes uh so he's another this movie is also riddled with a lot of those smaller like contracted studio actors where i just watched a couple of christmas movies and there were like four people that uh, like Ferrari, the guy who owns the other bar. Yeah. I saw him in another movie recently. Uh, his bartender with the white hair and the glasses, that waiter. Mm -hmm. I saw him in a movie lately. So they're all, it's kind of a who's who of like 1940s cinema. And then somebody like Peter Lorre, he was never a mega star, but he's one of those dudes that's so iconic that he has lived on. Do you recognize his speaking voice? Uh, think of a character that has taken on that affectation. No, I can't say I do. Let me try this. You idiot. Oh. Do you understand? Do you get that reference? I mean, it's a Ren and Stimpy thing. Yeah, think about how Peter Laurie was talking in this movie and okay. now think about Ren and Stimpy. Okay. That's basically where that voice is coming from. It's that really defined sort of, hello, who are you? I am going to help you. You like, idiot. Yeah, yeah. That's where that voice comes from is Peter Lorre. He's got just I'll this really okay. specific, iconic way of talking. And he mostly made a lot of like kind of horror movies and Makes weird sense. German films. <laughs> but he's got a few really well-known American movies like this one. He was in arsenic and old lace but it's his voice that has really lived yeah, on it, it is pretty iconic but and then again he's not in the movie that much he's really not he they set up at the beginning again there's a guy uh narrating and then there's like a news story or something like a, a somebody telling the news over the wire there's these two german couriers yeah who were carrying letters of transit and they were murdered so first of all it's okay who took the papers and we find out quickly it's it's peter laurie and he gives them to Rick. So it's no secret that Rick has these papers. Everybody fucking knows where they are. Because, because it's number one, he can be trusted and they're friends, quote unquote. And it was the last place he was yeah. when he was arrested. Right. And so he gets arrested immediately. And consequently murdered soon after that. But they're still trying to decide if he was trying to escape or if he killed himself. I'm Bullshit. filling out the paperwork Bullshit. now. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is... This is the big crux of the movie is Rick has these papers. What's he going to do with them? He could make a killing. Mm -hmm. He could leave with them. He could sell them to anybody he wants. But Louis tells him Victor Laszlo is going to be coming through to your bar mm -hmm. and he wants papers and he cannot be allowed to leave Casablanca because, again, the Germans cannot 
do anything to him when he's there. Yeah. But they can't afford to let him leave because he is a man wanted by the state. Right. And he's this this mythical underground figure who wrote up a, bon- a bunch of... Uh, like pamphlets in Prague, they said. Yep, anti-Nazi propaganda. Yeah, he's a propagandist against the Nazis. And he is notorious for being able to inspire people to rise up against the Nazis. And just by the fact that he's able to be in that bar and get everybody to sing that that anthem against the, the Germans, right there was the trigger to get them to say, you know what, no, fuck this. We're not going to do it the easy way. We're, we're going to take this guy down. So then he decides it may be too dangerous to let him stay in Casablanca. Exactly. But the only other option is to get him arrested. Right. So that's that's kind of the whole plot here is, is Rick going to help him mm-hmm. or not? But of course, it gets complicated because we find out he's with Elsa. Right. And it's it's a conspiracy on top of a conspiracy on top of a conspiracy. And, and as we kind of play it out, you know, Rick is really hostile to uh, to Ilsa when she first shows up. Again, for good reason. For good reason. And when she tries to explain, he won't let her. And then she finally just kind of throws it in his face. Yeah. You know, he's my husband yeah. and he was before I met you. Yeah. So He we, came first. Yep. I had a wild thing with you. I don't regret it, but I'm conflicted. I'm loyal to my husband, however. Right. But even she, she can't stop loving him because of the time that they had, and that's where the line comes in. We've, we'll, we'll always have Paris. We'll always have Paris. Yeah. Which, you know, is a nice thing because when we're talking about the relationship between Rick and Ilsa, their relationship is more, Rick is all about being with me. He is paying attention to me at all times. We're doing everything together. We're driving through Paris together. We're having a grand old time. Meanwhile... When she's with her husband, Victor, he's off doing his underground thing. He's, you know, getting arrested and getting put in jail. And there's rumors about him getting murdered and so many different things. And she married him because she looked up to him and was infatuated by him to begin with. But he's not giving her his entire attention. Rick is. That's the difference between these two guys. It's also fantasy versus reality because she... Finds out that he gets arrested, and then she tries to find out for months what's happening to him, and she hears that her husband has been killed. Yeah. That he's dead. So in her loneliness and in her time by herself Mm -hmm. in Paris, she meets this guy, but they don't know anything about each other. Like they say, we said no questions. So they kind of are just together, but they don't really know the whole picture of who this person is. Yes, they might be in love, but... Is it real? Is it deep and meaningful love in the same way? I don't really know because they don't have all the details. She doesn't know exactly why he's there. She knows he's got a record. She knows that he'll be in danger if he stays in Paris. But she doesn't care. She's again falling in love. She gets infatuated very easily. Yes. Now, I'm going to say this, Betsy. I'm sure you've had this thought before, but this movie reminds me a whole lot of Before Sunrise and that and the whole Before trilogy. Okay. Where we have these two chance meetings in Europe. They're not from the country that it is depicted in. They just happen they to just be happen there. They just happen to be on a train and they meet each other and they have a wild affair overnight, like for a day basically, and then they part ways. Then they happen upon each other again years later 
in a in a in a weird circumstance in a different city in a different completely different city so that's the difference here where they never thought they would ever see each other again in this movie but I see the parallels between these two stories. I had not thought about that, but I I'm see surprised. I see what you're drawing from. You're right, because it's two people who have a moment together and then they part ways, mm-hmm. think they'll never see each other again. Mm-hmm. And in the case of the before sunrise, before sunset, yeah. it kind of is happenstance that they run into each other again and you're left open-ended like, where does this go? What happens at the end of the movie? Because the mm-hmm. movie is over. Right. Versus this one where they meet again by happenstance Mm -hmm. and you get closure because he says, you have to go with him. Yeah. You're supposed to be with him. I've got shit to do. It's all going to be okay, (laughs) but you got to go. Yeah. You got to go. What we had was great. Yep. You know, and that's why he says we'll always have Paris, but that's a little just like pocket of time for them. Yeah. It exists only in that bubble. And we get not a whole lot of that. Like there's, there's a flashback where he is happy. Like, this dude doesn't smile yeah, this fucking I movie. Noticed, I noticed that the only smiling he ever does is in that flashback. He is happy. Yep, he is happy. And we find out that the reason she leaves is because she finally got word that her husband's actually alive. Yeah. He's outside of Paris, and he's sick, and she has to go and take care of him. He needs me. Right, and this is, of course, while the Germans are invading and occupying France, and they finally get to Paris, like, the next day after they're supposed to leave. Yep, and there's this correlation, you know, the last plane out of Casablanca, the Uh last train out of Paris. They're supposed to be on the last train out of Paris. It's pouring rain. He's waiting for her. He's waiting for her. She doesn't show up. Finally, he gets a letter, and it says, My darling, I can't go with you. I can't explain why. God bless you. Bye. Yeah. And And that's all he gets. That is enough to fuck anybody up. Where you say that you're going to have this grand plan to to leave together, but she's not dishonest, but she's choosing, uh, of course, throughout the entire thing, the entire affair, she doesn't reveal that she was married. No, and she doesn't think it's relevant because she 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 thinks thinks he's he's dead. dead. Yeah, which is, of course, a valid thing to believe after being in a German concentration camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she doesn't tell him any of this. Yeah. She just kind of rips off the bandaid and leaves. And it's because she knows that if she told him the truth, mm-hmm. he would try to stay and be with her and help her versus let him get out of town because yeah. it, she's torn between these two roads And she chooses the one that she chose before. Yeah. And in reality, they both help each other. She helps him by saying, there's not, there's not an option here. And then he leaves. And at the same time, at the end of this movie, he doesn't give her an option. You're either going to leave or you're going to stay and be arrested. So leave with your husband. Go be happy in America. I'm going to stay. I'm going to give you the same, the same treatment you gave me. Mm -hmm. I am getting you out of here. And we're not going to look back with regrets. We're just going to have that moment in time. And Mm -hmm. that is what it is. You can go be his wife. I'm going to stay here and do what I got to do. And, and be a better man. And really, you could you could look at this from a from a morality standpoint, too. She believed that her husband was dead. He had no idea that she was married. They had this affair. And if they were, were to have continued it, it would have been even more immoral because she's a married woman. Yeah, she didn't do anything wrong until she found out that he was still alive. And then suddenly yeah. she 
she, she completely started, cut it off. She started acting weird. And yeah. you have that scene where they know that the Germans are like 30 miles out of Paris. They're yeah. coming. They're going to be here any second. Yeah. And she's very far away and aloof. And he doesn't even notice because he's still just so darn happy and in love that he doesn't notice she's acting super weird. He just assumes it's because they're being occupied. <laughs> but there's, you know, when she finally tells him the truth and then at the end of the movie she's trying to get the papers off him. Mm -hmm. She brings it all up again. And he's had a couple days to be thinking about what they had and why she left. And will I help her? or Do mm -hmm. I not give a shit because I'm just a cold, heartless bastard now? And when she goes to him because he won't give him the papers, she brings a gun and he knows she won't use it. Yeah. But she just sort of collapses like jelly where she's just like, fuck you. I love you so much. I left you once before. And I, I hate, can't. I don't have the strength to do it again. I hate that I continue to love you so much. Yes. That's, that's her line. This sucks. <laughs> yeah. And I, I get her perspective. I get that she's in a really hard position because she is married to this man who she still loves. But at the same time, he is doing a very dangerous thing by continuing on with this. The only way for this to no longer be dangerous is for them to get the fuck out of Dodge Her and, and go Laszlo, to America. Yeah. Yes. So this is the best for every party here. For them to escape together, the married couple, for Rick to stay behind and have his little crime family thing going on, <laughs> you know. I think the status quo here is the correct result of the story. It's just, think about a diamond. Everybody starts from the same position. You go out your separate ways, but in the end, you come right back. And then you separate again. Right. It's just like a little pattern, out and in and out exactly. and in. Exactly. <laughs> so if, if they were to have stayed together, it would completely fuck everything up for everybody. Yeah. And it's weird how this movie somehow manages to be romantic without being at all romantic. Like, this is yeah. not the romantic ending. No, I, I was kind of expecting it. I, I had no idea that she was already involved with someone. I thought it was going to just be this thing between these two people. Star-crossed lovers that separated. And why why were they brought apart? And they don't say right away they're married. Who they knows? say, oh, he's traveling with a woman. Right. Because their marriage is a secret. Sure. And only she tells Rick that they're actually married well, and, and have of, been. And one of the guys says, well, he left with her in this country. He left with her in this country. And he left with her in this country. So it's probably going to be him leaving with her in this country as well. Yeah. He is taking all this trouble to bring her along they're not separating. <laughs> She's not just some broad that he's bringing along. No. And of course they say, but by reputation or once they see her, now I get it. Now I sure. understand. Sure. <laughs> and you've got Ingrid Bergman in her prime, just looking gorgeous. And they've got all these like soft lights on her face and her eyes are always half full of tears. And yes. yeah, it's just a great looking movie this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Let's kind of talk about that a little bit. I think I think we've already talked enough about the story but how the movie is shot how the movie looks they do so much with lighting here because that's about all you can do in a black and white format it makes for different tricks when you're doing it in black and white it makes the light and dark so much more dramatic mm -hmm. and this isn't a noir movie but it's it's inching towards that kind of like who done it what's gonna happen mystery and they could have done it in color this was in the early 40s. Sure. They'd already made, you know, fucking Wizard of Oz a few Gone years with before the wind. this. Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Technicolor existed. Mm -hmm. But when they started making both Technicolor and Black and White, it was 
usually by choice, how does it help the story? Mm -hmm. And this movie, I think, just works so well in black and white because it is that kind of, there's a lot of sinister things happening and it's who's who's guilty and who's bad and who's good. And they get to play a lot with light and shadow yeah. in this I, movie. I especially wanted to, to mention two different scenes here where one of them, he's drinking at the bar overnight after she shows up. Rick is at the bar by himself, drinking by himself. And Sam shows up and brings the piano p- piano over. Sam is never without his piano. Yeah, he drags that fucker around <laughs> the whole attached, place. He's attached to the hip. Um, and like he is very dismissive of Sam, saying, damn it, go ahead and play that song. I know you know it. Yeah, she. if she can take it, so can I. Yeah. And they do play that song in the flashback, I think just once. He's just sort of plunking it out at the piano. Yeah. yeah. He's not singing it, though, I don't think. No. But there is that that uh, motif of that song throughout the entire movie. After it gets played once, it's just kind of in the background. Oh, yeah. There's a reason it's a classic and it evokes a lot. But anyway, in that yeah. scene, I know which one you're talking about. Yes. When Rick is basically staying at the bar late mm-hmm. because he says, she's going to show up. I know she's going to show up. Yeah. Why wouldn't she? And yeah, when she appears and it's all dark and the light comes flooding in and she's mm-hmm. just standing there in this bright light. Right. Uh, the other scene was where I think the captain comes to meet him at his, in his office and he goes to the safe to get money. There is a perfect silhouette of this character on the wall, smoking a cigarette, getting the money out of the safe. It is fantastic. Yep. I love that. They don't show him. They just show the captain and then the shadow. Yeah. Yep. There's also a shot later where... When Ilsa is with Rick to get the papers, yep, they don't want Laszlo to know she's there. Mm-hmm. So he goes and gets the other guy from the bar. Because then he'll get the wrong idea. Yeah. So he goes and gets the other guy from the bar. Right. And when they open the door, she's in the shadow and then she's lit up. Yeah. There's all kinds of shots like that in this movie. Again, it's just light and shadow because you can do that so effectively in black and white in a way you just can't do in color. It's just, it's cool. It's cool. And you're right. There's a lot of really interesting, like, tracking shots or, like, through through a banister where you see the bars of the banister, the railing, mm-hmm. and there's people framed in between, but the banister is still in the shot. There's also the shot where Rick is in with Ferrari when he's selling his bar, and the camera, like, there's, like, there's like a beaded curtain there, and somebody pulls the beaded curtain back and the camera goes through the door yep. to where Rick is sitting. That's a fantastic shot. I love that. There's also the first time we're in Rick's where they're sort of tracking through the bar, through the crowd, yeah. and then land on Sam. Yep. There's a lot of these really cool kind of panning shots and following people. Or at the end of the movie, when they're on the tarmac and they have just kind of that quick zoom in up mm-hmm. to their faces. And yep. then the next couple of frames are just these really close-up shots of mm-hmm. the different leads. And right before that, there's the shot of Rick in his bar alone. And the camera is actually up on a balcony inside and the entire place is empty and it's just him walking to the door. Yeah. That's all it is. It's it's such a subtle thing, but they really don't do a whole lot of that anymore. A lot of directors don't choose to do these kind of panning shots or like these yeah. big zoom ins. The zoom in especially, I feel like 
not a lot not a lot of people use it anymore mm-hmm. it's just a different style of filmmaking but there's a lot of classic looking framed shots in this movie <laughs> well and there's also i was thinking about the scene where victor and her show up for the first time they're sitting down and people keep on coming up to him and like the dialogue is just one shot normally you have these covered shots you have the over the shoulder shot of two people talking to each other no these people are just side by side on in, in the frame talking at each other and their profiles to the camera. Yep. You don't see that anymore because most directors want to see the actor's full face. Or they're moving while they're talking or something. Yeah, they're just kind of standing there. Yep. That is a very old way of doing things. Stationary looking at Laszlo, stationary looking at the other two. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so since you brought it up, the dialogue in this movie. This movie won three Academy Awards, and one of them was for Best Screenplay. And even now, 80 years later, there's just some fantastic one-liners and just Mm -hmm. very quick, quippy things. But there's also nobody speaks, nobody writes like this, nobody speaks like this anymore. So it's this funny balance of dialogue but it, that you, exists. But you can follow it, though. You can totally follow it. But there's just lines that really jumped out at me watching it today where they first meet again, and she says, the last time I saw you was the day the Germans invaded in Paris. Yeah. And he says, I remember the Germans wore gray and you wore blue. Like, that's such a poetic line. Mm-hmm. From this otherwise hardened dude. Because he has this romanticized image of that day or those days where shit started to hit the fan. But he has this like positive glow about her in that dark time. Well, it's also going back to the whole thing about being in black and white. For him to say colors. Mm Mm-hmm. They stand out because it's an otherwise colorless movie. For him to say they wore gray and you wore blue, your mm-hmm. mind immediately goes to a vivid image. Sure. And in your brain, you go, ah, color. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, who writes like that anymore? Nobody. Yeah. And so it just really stood out to me. But then there's, like I said, the line about the being a drunkard. Uh, yeah. There's also the bit about he sits down with the German officer and he asks him, uh, how would you feel about us invading London? I'll tell you when you do it. When you get there. How would you feel about us invading New York? Well, I'll tell you, there's certain parts of New York I would advise against you invading. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that attitude has a very long history. It existed then and it exists now. And that's that's a fantastic way of, like, just putting it. It's like, yeah, I don't know, man. You fucking Germans, you fucking Nazis are will will not do very well in New York City in certain areas. (laughs) So, yeah, I'd like to see you try. So what are some of the other lines of dialogue that you you were pretty amused by? I love the when he's all depressed, when he's drinking him by himself, he says, of all the gin joints and all the towns and all of the world, she walks into mine. Because again, they never thought they would ever see him see each other again. This entire conflict is everywhere. It's all of Europe flooding into Africa. Bleeding all into other parts of the world. Yeah. And he At thought, this point, America's not involved, but no. yeah. And he <laughs> thought he thought he was going to be able to live in exile, have this this little life for himself, make the l- few friends that he has, and she invades his life yet again. And I think he is grateful for the reminder of the time that he was happy. 
that he's capable but, of being happy. Right. And but he wants it to go away. Like he's got his little happy rut going on, as happy as he could be, but I, I can't have that anymore. My life was much simpler. I can't without have you that anymore. And you come in here, and yeah, of course, that's that classic line. How many movies, how many times have they referenced that line of dialogue? Yeah. And there's a few more, especially at the very, very end. Um, where they're talking to each other. I, I didn't write those down. Well, there's like the speech when he says, you're going to get on that plane. Yeah. And if you don't, you'll regret it. Maybe yeah. not now, that maybe one. not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. Yep. Yeah, that that's, one. that's an iconic speech. <laughs> yep. And it's true. Yeah. It's just true. He if just she, If it. she doesn't leave with him, with her husband, she is going to regret it. Um. And of course, it's the line that I mentioned in the intro about the gam- the, the gambling scene. So I am shocked, shocked to find out that there's gambling going on here. And right then, the guy comes up with his in his tuxedo and hands him a bunch of cash. You're winning, sir. Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. The script for this is really, really well written. Yeah. Uh, I know you were saying every time he says, here's looking at you, kid, take a shot. <laughs> what does that line even mean? It's just a toast. It's here's looking at you. And then it's his yeah. nickname. Well, and they kind of call it out. Like, she's a lot younger than him. Clearly. Like, where were you 10 years ago? Having a brace put on my teeth. Right. Where were you? Trying to find a job. Right. Because he's older. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they kind of, I assume, call her kid because she is just much younger than he is. Indeed. And he's this grizzled old man and she's this beautiful young woman. And they fall in love. Well, in his own eyes, I feel like he feels like a grizzled old man. Sure. And even Victor has like gray streaks in his hair. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. She likes him older, I guess. I guess. Well, (laughs) and she even says like... She's got a thing for older dudes. Like, that's definitely apparent because she yeah. says she grew up always hearing about this guy. Yeah. And he, she looked up to him and mm-hmm. then they fell in love. Yeah. Like, that was kind of a common story. There's other movies I can think of, especially that take place around the time of World War II. And is she not German? She She's, is. She said she grew up in Oslo. Uh, yes, so Ingrid Bergman is very German. Okay. Yeah, with a name like Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, she just happened to be one of those people that broke into Hollywood a lot earlier than mm-hmm. most people. I think right. she's more known for playing like Europeans, or they just don't even acknowledge it, but she always sure. spoke with an accent. Okay. Always. And of course, she has a very famous daughter, too. Do you know this? No. Isabella Rossellini. Oh, shit. I did know that. Yeah. They look exactly alike, too. Yeah. If you actually look at her daughter and then look at her, you completely see it. Fine. <laughs> so one more random thought before it escapes me completely. Uh, they specifically say that Rick is 37 in this movie. That's how old I am. That's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember him saying that, but I, yeah, I guess. At the beginning, when he sits down with the German officer, he's yeah. got like a little dossier yeah, about him. He's like, right. Richard Blaine, born in New York. 37, brown eyes. <laughs> and then he, he also says the line, are my, are my eyes really brown? Yeah, he just <laughs> is just fucking with them. And yeah. he's just got this great attitude of, I don't pick sides. Like, yeah. fuck you guys. But yeah, just... So you the, don't intimidate me. No, the fact that they say he's 37, watching it now, and I haven't watched this in a few years, it's just an interesting observation as I get older when I 
place myself in correlation with yeah. other characters in movies yeah, that I never true. considered before. It's true. Like, oh, I am the age now that he is in Casablanca. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, everybody seems so much older in movies from the 40s and 50s. Well, people aged very quickly in those days. Well, and just how they make them up. Like, they all dress the same from the age you're like 15 to 50. You just... Every, I don't know how old you are. You could be 12. You could be 90. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, are there any other things that you wanted to bring up in this movie? Like I said, it, this got nominated for three Academy, or got nominated for a lot of awards. It yeah. won for Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Picture. This was the mm -hmm. Best Picture winner for this year. Yeah. Um, nothing specific other than, you know, I, it was surprising to me that it was as complex as it was. Uh, I was able to follow the story the entire way. I wasn't confused ever. And I love the contextual nature of this is happening in real time with the, the Germans having an already invaded France and Poland and everything else. And this movie got made during that time. And you just don't see movies like this anymore. It would be like now where a Ukrainian film is made during the occupation as a fuck you to Russia. As a big fuck you to Russia. And I'm sure some of that is being made because people, because creative people do not stop. They can't help but be creative. And if they have something to say, they're going to say yes, it. Exactly. So that's kind of where I'm coming from here, where I, this is just fascinating to me that it was made and made contemporarily. And there's also just a lot of complex ideas. Like there's the woman with her husband. There's kind of this subplot. Yeah, where it's I just to like, that. How far are you willing to go to get out of the situation? And they yeah. don't they don't say it, but they infer it yeah. completely. It's the gal nearing the end of the movie sits down with Rick and says, "Do you do you trust the captain? Is he good on his? Is he good for his word?" Because he told me that if I do this, that he would get me transit papers. Well, he doesn't even, she doesn't say that. She basically says, what if you did a bad thing? What if you loved someone sure. really very much right. and you were willing to do anything it took? Mm -hmm. And she implies that there was a situation that the captain took advantage of. Yes. And he confirms it. Like once they... Mm -hmm. he, Rick kind of taps the guy on the shoulder and says, put all the money on 22. Right. Her husband suddenly wins a fortune because he rigs the game. Mm -hmm. And then he tells him to get out of there. The captain sees all of this and says, you took away my toy. Sure. Yeah. So there's, that's like a really dark concept and a really complex thing. But it's also this correlation with how far are you willing to go? And it's the same situation with Rick and Elsa. Right. How far is he willing to go to help the woman he loves? He killed the guy. He killed a guy who he definitely should not have killed. He was not a nobody. He's like the highest ranking German officer in this area. Yeah, most likely. In front of another officer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and he signed his own life away, basically, to get her on that damn plane. Sure. So, yeah, it's yeah. just for 1940-something, this is a really... It's kind of a risque topic to bring yeah. up. And the fact that they bring it up at all says something about... Okay, this is serious. People are desperate in order to get out of this place and, and, and escape to America. And this is what the world has come to. And even though we're not going to mention it, it's still happening. Yeah. People in power will use that power. Yeah. And everybody's got a price and everybody is willing to do unthinkable things at this point in history. Yep. In order to save themselves and save the people they love. Yep. 
And I, in, in this case, she said, my husband will never find out about it. I'm going to put it out of my mind. I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. I'm going to pretend it never happened and we will move on with our lives. As long as we know he can be trusted. Indeed. Because if I did that for nothing... Yeah. What the fuck? Indeed. So yeah, there's these sort of universal themes to this movie, which is why I think it has lasted. And again, the historical context and significance is just really fascinating as we have gotten so far removed from those events. You know, in a few more years, there's not going to be that many people left who there's, remember this time. There's barely anybody right now. There's barely any right now. There's nobody in this movie who is still alive. No. That's a fascinating fact. Yeah. Like I always think or about when are, I watch over when I when I watch <laughs> movies like this, I always think, "Oh God, none of these people on screen right now are alive." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the movie has weight. The movie has impact, and it has yeah. lasted this long, and it'll continue to live on. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we watched it, Trent. Uh, so we've got another one of these major motion pictures off of your list. Indeed. So with that, we're going to wrap this one up. And we do have an email from our friend Mitch from Saskatoon. His email is called Mitch's 2022 Awards. Hello, you two. It is again I, Mitch, here to sending you well wishes in the new year. Thank you. I loved your 2022 awards show and was inspired to look into my 2022 movie year. First off, I did not watch over 390 movies like some people. (laughs) That would be me. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Much, much less. I did look at your list from the year and found that I for sure had seen 25 movies and probably most or part of another dozen to 15 more. Not too bad. I don't have HBO Max and some of your other services. I don't mooch. (laughs) (laughs) But everybody does it, Mitch. Everybody. Pretty soon we're not going to be able to. Uh, well, yeah, there's a couple of services <laughs> cracking down on that. He continues, I probably watched another 15 to 20 movies other than those during the year. And here were my top three. Honorable mention, Paddington 1 and 2. Movie number three, The Godfather. I watched one and two, but the original was better in my eyes. Hoping to catch part three sometime. I have seen the first two. I have never seen part three. I haven't seen any of them. We'll get to them eventually. Number two, 1917. It's ironic you mentioned it in the Deadpool 2 episode because I thought the continuous shot aspect was super fun. Yeah, that entire movie is made to look like one continuous shot. Yeah. It's not, obviously. It's not. You can tell where the cuts are most likely. Yeah. It's just expertly done. Yes. Sam Mendes does an excellent job. And if you have, like, the the disc, the DVD or whatever, watch the extra features on on the disc because they go into how they're able to shoot a lot of these long, long scenes. It's a lot of rehearsal. It's a lot of setup. It's a lot of logistics. But it's worth it to have the, the, the shots that they have. And you have to do it flawlessly. There's like a guy going, go, go, yeah, go. <laughs> yeah. And number one, weird, the Al Yankovic story. How you did not even mention this in the awards show was ridiculous. <laughs> you mentioned the second best Daniel Radcliffe movie for some reason. And your favorite moment wasn't Weird Al saying order up after doing Kung Fu in a cafe. I am disappointed in you two. Okay, in our defense, and we said it in that episode, and we've elaborated to each other since then, this was so hard. Like, we went through many drafts, Mm -hmm. and there were certain movies we desperately wanted to find a place for, and this was one of them. Weird was in my top four 
movies. If we I, picked uh, four, you'd had it in there. <laughs> it would have been in the conversation if we did if we did more. And it was in it was in the the, the final four, I should say, of my top three. And that was the one that I had to call from my list. Oh my God. My final list of best new movies. Yeah. I had to call so many because mm-hmm. you just have to weigh them out when we're trying to get it down to three or it'll be the longest podcast we've ever recorded as we fight with each other about <laughs> how we remove anything or just because I would have to bring you in on the conversation because otherwise it's just me fighting with myself and I get nothing accomplished. Right. And that's kind of the reason why we don't do a deliberate podcast is because it is it is a completely subjective thing we're not doing this as hey this is the the never seen it podcast awards we're two different people i don't care that we're married we have different opinions and there are movies that betsy likes that i don't and vice versa and there were movies that we had both already seen right so it's not fair no it's not fair because if we just eliminate the graduate that's a you have a different that was my top movie yeah yeah you have a completely different new favorite yeah so that's why it's not that we didn't love weird. We loved weird. Yeah. But finding a place for all the movies that we loved mm-hmm. in that award show was difficult. Yeah. It was really hard. My top three could not have been more different from each other. <laughs> and I think weird just wasn't unique enough to put it over the edge. There you go. So sorry, Mitch. We really wanted to include it. Yes. We promise we loved it. It just we couldn't find a place for it. In our deliberation. <laughs> and at least the top three. And that's, it is the format that we have chosen for our awards. It it just fits because we can not only give an award for our favorite, but also give some runners up. Definitely. So, anyway. So he continues, some other podcast notes from A Christmas Story. I love meatloaf, the food, not the actor. <laughs> we had it today. And we also open gifts one at a time. But it was bad this year when the same person got socks for everyone and we all knew what was coming. Ah. Socks are great. Shut up. (laughs) uh, You know, in my old age, I never really get socks anymore, but... It's a thrill, Trent, I tell you. It is. And I know you have a thing about socks. We've never really talked about it on the podcast before. I like fun socks. (laughs) (laughs) But I am a utilitarian when it comes to socks. I have a pile. A pile of the same kind of sock. The same sock. The entire The entire drawer is filled with the same kind of sock. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. No diversity. No. I don't need it in my life. You have like two pairs of dress socks for when the occasion calls I just bought like six new pairs of dress socks. But those are put away somewhere else. Yes, they're not intermingled with the other ones. (laughs) Anyway, he finishes some of the socks were even clearly from other people's packs. You can open all at once occasionally. Thank you for answering my question in the Deadpool podcast. I enjoyed your answers tremendously. Mitch out. Thanks, Mitch. Yes, we we enjoyed doing our holiday special. And yes, we talked about how sometimes it turns into chaos opening gifts where mm-hmm. everybody's just opening simultaneously. But as we also mentioned, it hasn't happened in a while because we've had some small Christmases with mm-hmm. with the era of COVID and people having other family things to yeah. do. It's it's complicated when you have a big family trying to get everyone and in when, the same when place. When people start to spread out some more and not everybody's just around, it's a lot harder to quote unquote come home mm-hmm. for Christmas and, and whatnot. So I appreciate the time that I'm that I'm able to get with family. And I think everybody should have the same kind of idea. As long as you're together, who cares how chaotic it is when you open presents? You're getting presents. That's enough. 
Your presence is my present, Trent. Boo. <laughs> but with that, that's going to be another episode of Never Seen It. If you would like to be like Mitch and send us your thoughts about the awards show, Casablanca, or any of the other movies that we've covered, or just if you have a question, we like answering questions, you can email us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. That's Never Seen It Pod 1. We're also on Twitter, Never Seen It underscore pod. We would also love it if you support the show by clicking the link in the podcast description where you can throw us a buck or two. So that's going to be it for Casablanca. We've got a few more random movies here before the Oscar nominations come out. And then we'll see just how many of those Oscar Best Picture nominees we have yet to cover before the awards. Yeah, it's going to be kind of a marathon uh, once we reach uh, the nominations coming out and then we got two months in order to cover all of the stuff that we have to do. Hopefully we get to the point where actually we only have to watch like four or five. That'd be amazing. We're just guessing and every awards yeah. show is a little bit different. Yeah. And so we don't know until we know. And then we'll decide what to do from there. So in it won't be every single episode is an Oscar movie. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We might have another out. series. We might have some yeah. random movies. We'll figure it out based on how many we have to see and how available they are. Yep. And that's going to be the next couple of months as we approach the Oscar evening where they hand out all the awards. Indeed. <laughs> but that's going to be it for this one. Once again, I have been Betsy. And I'm Trent. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye.